Okay. It sounds different. It sounds different? Like quieter? <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Hold on, was that a joke against me? Uh-huh. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, there we go. I can hear it now. So, yeah, welcome, everyone. It's, it's really good to be back. And um, a lot of people, obviously, I know, and a lot of people I don't know. Um, but the church is going really well. It's been uh, just a great adventure to be down there, and God's hand has been evident all along. You know, we've, we've never felt alone. We've never felt abandoned or afraid. I felt alone the day that the Shockleys and the Gerbers drove away and left yeah. us all alone in I'm South kind of Carolina, like, not knowing anyone. I felt quite alone. I'm kind of summarizing it into like a big picture. Oh, like, okay. there, there, you know, <laughs> there were moments. <laughs> um, but all in all, <laughs> it's been really good. Because <laughs> you can feel alone in your own town where you've lived for 20 years. And, um, so, ka-chow. You didn't think of that, did you? Um, Our marriage has done really well this last two yeah. years. <laughs> no, it really has. You know, that was monumental, wasn't it? We were driving back up here thinking, okay, the church is about 14 months old in terms of Sunday mornings. And here we are driving back up to visit you guys. And, you know, our children are all still alive, which to those of you who know our parenting style, that in itself is a miracle. <laughs> our marriage is still intact and flourishing and warm, and we have a church that's going two Sundays all by itself with the leadership team that's functioning all by itself. Awesome. Is that amazing? Yeah. And that's So, that's what I was going to say. <laughs> It's amazing the oneness these days. We just so go ahead. Okay. <laughs> oh, it's been fun. <clears throat> so we're going to talk to you a little bit this morning about. Are you leaving? <laughs> Scott actually doesn't need to say anything anymore. <laughs> oh dear. Well, how many of you know what Hebrews 12 says? Faith is the of things not seen. Okay, so I had an experience about 11 years ago that really helped me to um, know something about that scripture that I didn't know before. And how many of you know that God speaks through dreams? Yeah, it's a big part of how God relates with us. And um, I had a dream that probably has been the most significant dream of my life. And I was about 22 years old, and I had a dream, and in the dream, the Lord himself came and visited with me. And some of you have heard the first part of this dream. I was looking in a mirror, and it was a very old antique mirror. And you know the way antique mirrors are kind of speckly, and they have that black stuff all over them. <clears throat> and I was looking in this mirror... And this uh, person came and stood behind me, and I could see their face over my shoulder. And as I looked in the mirror, I could make out a crown upon this person's head and this hair. And then I just knew, like, wow, it's the Lord. And I just stood there completely, like, in awe. And the voice came from behind me and said, you can turn around and look at me. And I was just like, oh my gosh, like, and I turn around and I look at him. And, you know, you know, we know one day we're going to see the Lord. We're going to see him face to face. But he is so beautiful. And I remember in the dream just kind of like half weeping, like, oh my gosh, you're so beautiful. You're so beautiful. And he, he was just so matter of fact, like, come on. He just walked off. And I was like, 
kind of, in, you know, went after him in the stream. And it's funny, he walked into a sitting room and he sat down on a sofa. And I sat with him and he looked at me and he said the strangest thing. He said, let's play music. And I looked and there was no instruments of any kind. It was just him and I sitting on two sofas. And I thought to myself, well, there are no instruments. But I knew that in his presence, I could not doubt one thing that he said. Right? And so I put my hands out and I started to move them like I was playing the piano. And the most beautiful music sounded forth. And I started laughing and I looked at him and he said, and that's faith. And the dream went on to some other lessons that he taught me. And you know... Faith is the substance of things not seen. And um, one of the, a really important question that all of us have to ask on our journey is the question that Peter asked when he's standing in the boat. You know, it's the fourth watch of the night and they think there's a ghost coming towards them on the water and they're all freaked out. They've been in a storm for hours. And suddenly the Lord says, don't be afraid, it's me. And Peter's on the edge of the boat. He can see the waves and he can see the storm. And he looks out and he said, Lord, if this is you, speak the word and I will come. And that's a question that we all have to ask along our journey many, many times. God, to me, this does not look safe. To me, this looks foolish. My eyes tell me this is not possible. But I know if you tell me it's possible, I know that your words carry more substance than what my eyes see. You know, scripture says that the whole of the world was framed by his word. You know, I sometimes think, you know that movie, The Matrix, where you see the codes that make up everything? You know, we could see a tree in the spirit. I think what we'd see is just the codes, the the information, the word that created that tree. The words that create everything around us. It's in him. It's all held together. And when he says something, it carries more weight than anything else. And Peter says... This is ridiculous, but if it's you, tell me and I'll come. Have any of you had a situation like that in the last year? God, this looks crazy, but if it's you, I'll do it. We had a couple speaking at our church uh, just a couple weeks ago, and um, the man, his name is Shannon, was sharing, they're talking about faith, and, and he made this statement. He said, you know, the, the devil wants our faith. He said, more than our marriage or more than, you know, our health or anything like that, he wants to take our faith. And I went away and I thought, and in the moment I thought, well, that's a great statement. You know, it's really true. But as I thought about it more, you know, I thought it's not that he simply wants to sabotage our faith in the Lord, but he actually wants our faith in him. You know, the, the devil uh, wants to usurp the place of God. And that, that's why he fell in the first place. It talks about that in Isaiah 14, that, that he was hungry and thought that he could exalt himself above God. And so whatever God has, you know, God is, or whoever God is, you know, God deserves our faith. He deserves that we believe in him, that we worship him, that we praise him. And that's what the devil wanted for himself. And he is hungry... Uh, to have our faith. And, you know, what that means is that we would believe more in the faithfulness of the devil to mess with our lives than we would believe in the faithfulness of God to do good. Right? 
Does that sound familiar? (laughs) That instead of meditating day and night on the goodness and the faithfulness of God, instead of, um, you know, the Lord told the children of Israel, you know, remember, tell tell stories to your children of the great things that I have done for you. Instead of meditating on the great things and remembering all the things that the Lord has done for us, that we would meditate on everything that the devil has done and all the things that he's stolen, all the things that he's done to mess with us, right? That's how he wants our faith. That we would start to view life and see things in light of everything that the devil has done for us. (laughs) Look what the devil has done. Sorry. Um, Yeah. And and I and and it kind of seems sense and you know in this kind of world that we live in, that kind of seems like logical. Like you learn your lesson based on what happened in the past, right? And if you if you don't learn your lesson, you know, then you kind of run into the same things. But there's a couple things about faith. You know, Stephanie mentioned, uh, you know, the part in Hebrews where it says faith is a substance. And there's another one in Romans 12.3. Let's look that up here. We don't have that in the PowerPoint, but... Well, we do. Romans 12.3. Let's see if we can get there fastest. (laughs) There we go. Okay. (laughs) So, it's like... For I say through the grace given to me, to everyone who is among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think soberly as God has dealt to him, uh, dealt to each one a measure of faith. God has given to each one of us a measure of faith. Faith is substance. So faith is substantial. It's a substance. It's like a commodity. It's like something solid that you can put your hands on, like money. Right? Faith is a substance, and you have been given a measure of it. So you own a portion of faith. And it is your decision where you're going to invest that. Nobody can make you invest that uh, where they want. It is your choice. It cannot be stolen from you. And even though we can have some really bad situations that happen in life where it, it feels really natural and it's really hard to resist pulling back or putting our faith in the right place. Ultimately, at the end of the day, it is our choice what we're going to do with that faith. And um, we need to sow it in the right place. And I, and I was just thinking about it the other day, like, you know, the bank would like you to invest your money into their bank. You know, there's a lot of banks out there. And when you put your money in, into their uh, institution, they can invest it how they want. They can use that to make money. They can use that to accomplish their goals. And then, you know, you benefit as well. And with our faith, we need to see it and recognize this is a substance. And <clears throat> where have I invested it? Where have I deposited this substance? Is it in God? Is it? Am I hoping... In the Lord, even though it is unseen, even though things uh, may seem foolish, or 
Am I investing it in, in what the devil has said or what he's done in the past? Okay? Think about that. <laughs> it's funny because the atmosphere of God is peace. He is the Prince of Peace. And his atmosphere is encouragement. And his atmosphere is joy and love. And when we're in a place of faith, we experience some of that atmosphere. Our faith gives us access to God's atmosphere. But when our faith is in the father of lies, we benefit from his atmosphere. Accusation, anxiety, distress, fear, despair. And yet God wants us to live as people that are bound to his atmosphere so that we can impart it into the environment we live in. And one of the the challenges with faith is that God is committed to making our faith better than it is now. And here's how he does it. Does anybody know how God makes our faith better? (laughs) Let me read it to you. First Peter, I don't like this scripture, I'll tell you. First Peter chapter 1. Verse 6. In this you greatly rejoice. It means you're going to be happy about this. Though now for a little while, if need be, you have been grieved by various trials. That the genuineness of your faith, being much more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to the praise, honor, and glory at the revelation of Jesus Christ. In James chapter 1, James says, Rejoice! Be happy when you fall into all kinds of trials, knowing that it makes your faith more genuine and you grow in patience. Be happy when you're going through a trial. And, you know, when I was 20 years old, I got saved when I was 17, but I didn't really commit my life to, you know, a genuine process of being a Christian until I was about 20 and started attending church. And I remember I was really new, excited about church, reading my Bible. You know that honeymoon that you have with Jesus at the beginning? I just, we met with a, I met with a lady the other day from our church and her and her husband have just got saved. And they are just over the moon. They just think church is the most wonderful place in the world and we just love everyone and Jesus is amazing. And I met her for coffee and she said, you know, it's really funny. I see like people crying in church and people talking about the hard times they're going through and I just, I mean, like they found Jesus, haven't they? I mean, I just don't get that. And I'm like, you just feel some cynicism rising up, not cynicism, but like, oh honey, round the next corner is the darkest valley you've ever been into, you know? But I'm not, I'm just like, you know, and I, I had people say things like that to me when I was fresh in my faith, when I was in that spring season, the initial rebirth and everything that goes with it. And I just looked at her and I said, you know, there are seasons. And this season might last a long time for you, and I hope it does. And, but there are other seasons, and, but the joy will always remain. Yeah. The joy never has to go away. So I was in this first season of my life, and one day I was in my room just praying. And, you know, I was just beginning to experience things like pictures and impressions and visions during prayer and I saw this impression of Jesus sitting opposite a table from me and he had a glass of wine in his hand and he handed me the wine and he put his hands around my hands as I held it and he lifted it to my mouth and he looked me straight in the face and he said you are about to drink a cup of suffering but I will not leave you I'm like 20 years old what does that mean well two weeks later my brother died in a car accident 
And it was a tough season, a very tough season. But I learned one thing through the various trials I've been through on the journey, is that you go through a trial and you either come out more like Jesus or you come out jaded. Jesus jaded, you know. And it's amazing, in Psalm 84 it says, Blessed is the man whose strength is in you, O Lord, whose heart is set on pilgrimage. That word in Hebrew literally means a thoroughfare. Your heart is set on the fact that this life is just a little part of your journey. Blessed is the man whose heart is set on pilgrimage as they pass through the valley of Baca. The valley of Baca is the valley of weeping, the valley of distress. As you pass through the valley, as they pass through the valley of Baca, they make it a spring. And the rains cover with pools. And each one goes from strength to strength as they will appear before God in Zion. And that has to be in our journey as God refines our faith, as trials come, because they will come. If the keynote of your life is, I am going to see him face to face. One day, all of us, as scripture says, right now we see as in a mirror dimly, but then we shall see face to face. I've had a little preview of that in the dream I shared earlier. You're going to see him one day. And in 1 John it says that we do not know uh, what it will be like when we see him, but we know that we will be like him. And I've just learned to say, you know, every trial I go through, I know I am determined to come out of it more like Jesus. If I am in a trial, I am going to get something out of it. I am going to see those springs rise up in the valley of Baca. And you know, the, the complex thing is that some of the worst trials that you go through are sometimes the ones that you can't articulate to anyone else. And it's lonely, you know. And it might not be anything that anyone else would notice on the outside. It's, a, it's just a, like a dark night of the soul or something. But he will not leave you in those places. And through that season of grief where my brother died and you know, there's just turmoil in my family and difficulty, he never left me. He never left me. Even though sometimes I couldn't tangibly feel him, I would go back to that picture and know he's with me. And in the end, I saw the pools rise up and I saw the rains come. And, you know, what it's enabled me to do now is, you know, when people grieve or people go through hard times, it enables you. Like this year, we've seen so many people in our church in South Carolina go through financial hardship. Anyone know about that? You know? And it just makes me so glad for some of the seasons we went through where we were like, we can't afford groceries this week. What are we going to do? You know, pray and somebody would show up at the house with some food or Cameron would be like, here's an extra 50 bucks. And we'd be like, great, groceries, you know. And what it does, it, it, it gives you that depth that you can look at someone else who can't afford to pay their bills and say, I know, it's really tough, but it's not the end of the story yet. And we have to be so careful to not allow the disappointments of our life to begin to set the course of our future. That we begin to steer around the things that God would have us sail into because we go on what happened in the past. And we change course a little bit and a little bit and a little bit and we know that a small rudder steers a big ship. Watch how you talk about your life. Watch how you talk about the Lord. 
Because just a little change in the course and you go this direction instead of that way. And we absolutely have to fulfill the destiny that God has given us. We absolutely have to. We said this just the other day to a couple in our church who are going through an enormous trial. And I looked them in the face and it just came out of me. I said, this is not even about you. This is about the local church. Because if you win this victory, you will set a lot of people free. We have to. We have to win the victory. And that the reward is not just in this life that will set other people free. But can you imagine how cool it would be to, to go to heaven one day? And, you know, to see, some of us with our own eyes might see Jesus break through the clouds on the last day. We might hear with our own ears the trumpet sound and the clouds rip open. And just to see him and have him look at us like, you did it. You did it. You accomplished it. Doesn't that just make your heart, like, come alive inside of you? Like, I want that. No matter what, I want that. This life is just the blink of an eye. And then there is an eternity without pain or suffering or hardship. Amen. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So just lift up your eyes for a minute. You know, a lot of times we get focused on the problems or the hardship or the impossible situations. But we have promises to apprehend. Yes. We have promises to apprehend. and, And the story is not over for us. I mean, if you're breathing and you're in this room, you've not finished the race, right? There are, there are promises to apprehend. And God, God made us to be a people that take dominion, right? That's what he said to Adam and Eve. He said, take dominion. And, um, you know, before Jesus ascended into heaven, he said, go into all the earth and preach the gospel, Right? Go and bring the kingdom of heaven everywhere. And, and, you know, we are made to take dominion and bring things under the subjection of Jesus Christ. Yes. And, um, and a lot of times it's through those trials that that opportunity is there. You know, uh, the children of Israel had a promise. They had a promised land. It was given to their forefathers hundreds of years before they received it. There's a long period of preparation um, but then even when God brought them out and said okay here it is you know what did they have to do they had to fight for it yes. it's like here's your inheritance I will be with you I'm going to give you this great thing right now go fight for it and you know that when they initially went in and they were fighting and taking that land they did not fully take what God promised them they stop short. And that's, that's the other thing is, you know, with our faith, you know, not only do we have a choice of where we're going to invest our faith, but we have a choice of how far we're going to go. Wow, that's true. You know, God, it was not God's decision that they stopped short. For whatever reason, whether they got comfortable or whether they, they got bored of fighting or, you know, I don't know what it was. But it was their decision when to stop. And it wasn't until David came along, King David, that they took the full extent of the promised land and more. And we have promises in our life. And it's, it's very easy to look at the way things have turned out and are turning out so far 
as if that's the will of God and we kind of have to stay in that slot. And yet, I just want to challenge you a little bit. Not that we have to always be striving to, you know, there's, there's rest and there's peace. But, you know, there are promises out there and it's up to us to take them or not take them. You know, you live in America. You see people come over here from other countries and they take the opportunity. You know, they start the convenience store and their whole family's working there. And how can you despise them when they're the ones taking the opportunity? And you didn't take it, you know. I didn't take that. And there's opportunity around us. But it's up to us. It's in our hands. It's our decision. And we don't do anything without the grace of God. But if we do nothing, then we'll do nothing with the grace of God. Right? And um, it's through many, through many trials and challenges. And there's not just the trial and the challenge of holding back and surviving. Right? And this economy and climate, that's true. And I, I can see that the economy's been good. A lot of people are thin here. That we're not thin when we left, and um, I think you know, there's <laughs> uh, just joking. Yeah, we're we're getting a little bit bigger down there, so we're gonna start take collect, taking up a that collection. That wasn't nice of you to say in front of everyone. You know, so, I'm sensitive about my weight. Actually, you said it, I and know, I just repeated it. <laughs> um, <laughs> so anyway, there are promises. There's there's stuff to be done. And there are opportunities. And um, it's one thing to fight to survive. Eh. And it's another thing to fight to take the promise. And someone is going to do it. You know, in the days of Noah, God was upset with everyone. But Noah found favor with God. But Noah, he could have made some bad decisions too. Right? You know? Our choices really do matter. And sometimes we're going along in life and in the chaos, it seems like our bad choices don't always matter that much. Or they can kind of be hidden away in the chaos of what's going on in life, in the trials. And yet when it's all said and done, those little decisions really do matter. Like Stephanie was saying, what we believe in. But but the choices that we make and the righteousness that we stand for when we're the only one doing it is, is really important. And we apprehend promises. You know, we get promises from God. We fulfill uh, what he had. And when the children of Israel took the promised land, it wasn't just a great place for them to live, but they were glorifying God. Yes. You know, they, they, were, they were putting their faith in his word that yeah this is true that this scary task that you've put in front of us is going to turn out alright we're going to end up with something good in the end so anyway let's just have a minute of prayer before we have to finish and um, let's all just stand up and this isn't the end of church because Adam's going to come up in a minute but I I'm, would bet that people here have some promises that they haven't seen fulfilled. And I would bet they have some trials that are right in the middle of. Yeah. And and maybe, just maybe, we've some of us have put some of our faith in God and some of our faith in what the devil has done or what the devil has said. And um, 
I know I have. That's just this is part of life. Let's kind of withdraw that substance of faith from the wrong accounts and let's put it in the right place even if we don't know how it's going to work out or how that's going to do any good at all. Okay? Father, we come before you and um, we just put all of our faith to the best of our ability, as much as we can do at this moment, we withdraw all of our faith from what the enemy has said, what he's done, the way that he's intimidated us to make us think that things are going to turn out badly. We just withdraw our faith from those things and our belief. And we put all of our belief in you. That you have plans to prosper us. That you have plans to give us a great reward. That we will do greater things than Jesus did when he walked on the earth. We, we just decide right now to believe in you. That we will apprehend great things for your name, for your kingdom, and for, even for our own lives and our families. Yeah, and I just pray, Father, for those of us who are in the middle of a trial, that you would enable us to withstand the fires, that that grace would come. And I thank you, Father, that you will cause us to make springs rise up in the valley of Baca. And, you know, Scripture says that there is a door of hope in the valley of Achor. The valley of Achor is the, the valley of distress, of hardship. There's a door of hope. I just want to prophesy that over you today. There is a door of hope in this valley, especially financially. I just saw a door, and the posts of the door were made out of um, $100 bills. And so, Father, I just pray for the opening of the doors of hope financially for everyone, Father, that is in financial distress in Jesus' name. And Father, we just release grace over this house today and blessing. And I pray that this uh, church would be known as a mighty house of faith. That you would fill it with substance, Father. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. Did anybody hear Scott say, we need to decide? Did anybody hear that? He said decide. You did. It was so funny. I said a couple southern words. I said, what did I say? Oh, the... Devil has come to keel, steal and destroy. But was, and instead of steal, I said keel. But I, and then I realized, well, that's a southern word right there. Kill, kill. That was keel. He did it. He did it in South Carolina. He said, "The devil has come to keel." But he well, meant to say, say devil has kill, come, steal. The devil has come to keel. Everybody's like, "What's up with you, Northern boy?" Yeah. So. Good job.